0: Uh, good, morning, good morning, Ashley. Uh, today we're going to be back in Genesis uh, in Genesis 19, going back a couple chapters, verse 30 through 38. Um, I knew we had to go back to this eventually. I think last week perhaps I convinced myself otherwise. But uh, we had to fill in those gaps too. I think it made more sense with the storyline of where the study's been. And uh, we didn't study this back in the day because uh, it was more pertinent to go through Abraham and the story of Abraham and Isaac, I thought, for a last message or two than to get into something that's as heavy as we're going to talk about today and study today. Uh, But the title of the message in Genesis nineteen thirty through 38 is The Lineage of Our Father. The Lineage of Our Father. We're going to see today important details, uh, a backstory to several nations, um, and next week as well, uh, and some people who will play big roles in Israel's future. And we'll learn about uh, that hopefully today and next time as well. But as we get into today's study, uh, let's just consider these questions here. Who are your parents? We know our parents. I know who your parents are. You know who mine are. Not everyone knows who their parents are, their biological parents are, um, or if they 're adopted, you know they do have parents and they treat them and they would love them and consider them as their uh, parents but i 'm sure that there 's a question what their where their biology comes from what 's your lineage, your nationality you know what does your family do? I remember doing uh, something in history class in high school and learning about a great-grandfather of mine or a great-great-great-grandfather of mine who was a blacksmith, and I think that's kind of cool. Maybe that's why I want to get into welding and things. Maybe there's some of that blood. Maybe some of my, my grandfather loved to make things and uh, or my pop, and uh, maybe that's where I get some of the desires to make things and do things if you consider genetics as a, a, a part of that. Uh, but what about your nationality? You know, a lot of us are mixes, Irish, German, Italian... All those things any stereotypes i remember always in high school having a friend of another nationality and we would always joke on each other and, and i won't make the jokes because they would sound racist and they probably are but we didn't hate each other we loved each other and we just found it a way just to to bond and rip on each other in a weird guy way in high school without the lord but it was always making fun of the irish potato famine and that's nothing to make fun of but i took it as hey i'm irish i like potatoes and it's true i remember going on a I died for a few weeks, and all I really ate was potatoes. And and there was a love-hate relationship with them because they were good, but they're the only thing I could eat. There's usually some history to them, although, like I said, these things are generalized to absurdity or hate. But how often do we let these things become our excuses? I remember hearing a lot of times, well, I'm Italian, so this is just who I am. Even after coming to the Lord, using your heritage as an excuse for your behavior. Well, I'm Irish, so of course I'm going to drink. Or I'm Italian, of course I'm gonna be loud and obnoxious. And, And not all Irish people are drinks or drunkards, and not all Italian people are loud or obnoxious. But we tend to use these things, we use our heritage as an excuse for our behavior. And with that, where do we get our morals from? Do we just get them from the society we grew up in? Do we get them from our families? I think a lot of times these are things that help shape us. Um, But who is allowed to define them in our life? Just because you were told it was right or you told it was wrong growing up or your society says it's right or wrong, or even perhaps your church or your religion says it's right or wrong. Is it truly right and wrong? With that, who or what controls your life? A lot of us think we're in control of our own lives. But I think when we step back and look at it, we go, maybe we're not in control of our own lives. You know, the Bible says the borrower is servant to the lender. And a lot of times we think we're free and we're not in slavery. But if we look at the way we work or the way we spend our money or don't spend our money or where our money goes to, if you just open up our checkbook or QuickBooks or whatever you use these days, checkbooks tend to be a little antiquated, it might be easy to find out what you're enslaved to, what really controls your life. Maybe it's that huge car payment. Maybe it's that student debt for that degree you don't even use. I don't know. And with that, what kind of father, mother, son, daughter are you? Who are you? And what kind of person are you really? A lot of times we think we're doing the right thing, but we're not doing the right thing. A lot of times we don't think we're doing the right thing, but it is the right thing. A lot of times we have a vision of ourselves that's not quite... Accurate. We all kind of look in the mirror and know that right place to stand and be satisfied. And then we walk out and catch a glimpse of ourselves in the reflection somewhere and go, Ooh, do I really look like that? No, delete that picture. (laughs) But as believers, we cannot use these things as an excuse for our behavior. For the way we live. If we are truly and truly saved. We're going to be brand new. Romans 6, 8-11 says, Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death that He died, He died to sin once and for all. But the life that He lives, He lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord." And in Exodus 24 through 6 says, You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above. I think a lot of times we let our heritage or society's norms be our carved image that we bow down to and we allow determine what's right and wrong in our lives. Or that is in heaven above or in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations. Oh, that sounds bad well keep reading to those who hate me but showing mercy to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments god's saying if you start worshiping these idols and live a life of idolatry it's gonna be visited on your children and the wickedness that comes from all these things we visit on their children and the only way to break that is to fall in love with the living god and obey the living god why because he shows mercy to those who love him he would show mercy to all of us but You can't really give mercy to someone who continues in rebellion. At some point, the mercy has to run out. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. We know these verses, but do we let them really be? Are we a new creation? A brand new, completely different being than when we were before we knew the Lord? Old things have passed away. They've died. They've gone away. Behold, all things have become new. Have we allowed all things to become new in our lives? And that, granted, that doesn't happen right away. That's sanctification. That's a lifetime process. But as God brings these things to our attention, do we let them die and go by the wayside? Or do we hang on to them? In today's message, if it were to be rated by the MPAA or the FCC's TV board, it would be at least PG-13. Uh, nowadays, uh, maybe uh, even less, given the lax uh, the of standards. But I believe it should be rated R or TVMA. And like I said, I wasn't really looking forward to teaching this. I was hoping we could read these eight verses, touch on a couple of points and continue on uh, to chapter 20 and get through that. But that's not going to happen today. Another question. How many things today in society, in our lives, or just in general, are done with quote unquote, good intentions, good reasons? But they're really just masks for iniquity, sin, and even downright depravity. Oh, it's just a little white lie. Well, should you even be lying at all? Isn't there another way to handle it? But does it sound good? And man, the first two messages here uh, in this place, I think we're going to hit on all the hot button issues that people will write me hate mail for, or even worse, but does it sound good? Political correctness tends to take a lot of ugly, odd or even downright wicked things and call them good by putting a spin on them. And I'm not saying that, uh, that all of it is. I mean, there's certain terms you wouldn't want to, you know, you don't want to call someone retarded, you know, they have, would have Down syndrome or that, you know, they have special needs. I think that's a, a good way to be politically correct is, is to find terms that are better for people who have genuine uh, issues to, to not make them feel downtrodden or, or put them down, or, but to elevate them and lift them up um, because they are special. But political correctness across the board, without God, without true morals, takes things that are wicked and then begins to elevate them and they shouldn't be. Take, for instance, this one, one of the hottest issues. A woman's right to choose. I mean, just listen to that. A woman's right to choose. That's fantastic. A woman? Great. Has a right, fantastic, to choose. Absolutely. A woman is not a slave. A woman is not a piece of property. So how could you be against that? How could you be against something that's so... Fantastic in the way it sounds and the way it's written. A woman's right to choose. Well, of course, even the way it's written and said, there can't be any opposition to it because if you oppose it, all of a sudden you oppose a woman's instinctual right to choose. Well, who gave her that right? The problem is what choice are they referring to? And is it even our right to make that choice that's being spoken of? A choice between life and death of someone else who is completely innocent. A lot of times the world condemns the death penalty on those who downright guilty and downright deserve it for murder. No, let them live, let them have cable TV. No, they need to go. They need to have judgment in their lives. I'm not saying they can't repent or couldn't be saved, but these people have made their choices. And yet, we say it's a woman's right to choose. And we uplift murder on the most fragile and innocent and those who have made no choices at all yet. And we try and make it sound very noble and very progressive. But I would have to say that the woman had made her choice already prior to making that final choice for someone else. Ask me how I know. Today and next week, we're going to look at choices by two women and choices by two men and a choice by a man today as well, and look at some important people that are born despite of those choices and who have offspring that have involvement for the future of those of other offspring. So basically, there's some people here that are going to be born that are going to have a lot of history with Israel. But God, again, as we get into this message, we pray for those who are making bad choices and good choices. You help us all to have wisdom. But God, for those who have made the wrong choice in life, who have bowed down to idols and things of culture that they thought were right, God, I know that you can save them. You saved me. I made choices even knowingly, wicked choices, knowing what the reality was. But I was such a slave to my sin that I continued in them and they just went away like, a, a, like an animal to slaughter for them. Thank you for forgiving me of that. God, I pray that you would just uh, bless those people and bring them to know you. Let them know that there's forgiveness in you. And God, that we all have hope in you, no matter what wicked choices we've made. God, you made a righteous choice to die for our wickedness. Thank you, God. Speak in your word. Speak through me. Give me a, a heart of compassion, um, not a heart of judgment, God, because you've been so merciful to me. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's read Genesis 19 through 38 we're going to read the whole clip and go back and talk about it. Let me just grab a sip here. It says in verse 30, Then Lot went up out of Zoar and dwelt in the mountains, and his two daughters were with him, for he was afraid to dwell in Zoar. And he and his two daughters dwelt in a cave. Now the firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old, and there is no man on the earth to come into us, as is the custom of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him, that we may preserve the lineage of our father. So they made their father drink wine that night, and the firstborn went in and lay with her father, and he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. Yes, the stuff is actually in the Bible, and we have to actually study it. It happened on the next day that the firstborn said to the younger, Indeed, I lay with my father last night. Let us make him drink wine tonight also. And you go in and lie with him, that we may preserve the lineage of our father. Then they made their father drink wine that night also. And the younger arose and lay with him. And he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. Thus both the daughters of Lot were with child by their father." The firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. He is the father of the Moabites to this day. And the younger, she also bore a son and called his name Ben-Ami. And he is the father of the people of Ammon to this day. All right. wish we could end it right here and move on. But I think that there's, I know there's some important things to look at today in this uh, message that's honestly quite heavy and disturbing. But in the beginning, it says that he was afraid to dwell in Zoar. If you remember way back when, uh, in our study, or just a, a few verses before in the actual chapter, Zoar was the city that Lot wanted to flee to when they were told to leave Sodom and Gomorrah. If you remember, uh, two angels came into Sodom and Gomorrah. They visited Lot's house. There's a huge fiasco there. The people banged on the door, trying to get in and get to the angels and get to Lot. Lot offered his daughters. Uh, the angels struck him blind. And then they said, you need to get out of here. Like, get your family and get out of here because um, God's going to destroy the city. Basically, a giant nuclear explosion tomorrow and the, when the sun comes up. And Lot, you know, they said, flee to the mountains. So what does Lot do? He obeys and right away just gets right to the mountain, doesn't even take anything with him. No, he, 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 he goes, no, Lot, I don't really want to go to the mountains. Can I go to Zoar, please? And you see here that Lot went up out of Zoar and dwelt in the mountains. That he was afraid to dwell in this place that he wanted to go to in the first place. You know, he he was told to flee there, but he couldn't stand the thought of not living in the city. I mean, Lot, two angels showed up. Angels about to destroy the city, and you don't listen to them? You're in a crazy circumstance. Your wife turned into a pillar of salt. I think you need to listen to these guys, Lot. But Lot, as we do all too often, we want our own way. And unfortunately, a lot of times when we want our own way, we have to find out, the hard way. We were joking about being programmers at work the other day and how our methodology a lot of times is just try it and it doesn't work. Try it a different way. And that's a lot of programming, you know, because it's very inconsequential. You wouldn't want to be a surgeon and try it that way. But programming, it's sort of the way it works. You know, you know what to do, but when it doesn't work, you just got to keep trying things because it's very complicated sometimes. But a lot had to find out the hard way here. And it became apparent that as they were in Zohar, they could not stay there. Maybe the people there knew that he escaped Sodom and Gomorrah. Maybe it was a dangerous town. Maybe it wasn't the nicest neighborhoods or bars on the windows and there was high crime. I don't know. Uh, But he didn't have peace there for whatever reason, physical peace, or maybe spiritual peace. You know what? That's always the case when we're downright disobedient. And even if we're just slightly out of sync with the Lord, I would say your peace is probably upset. When God commands us to go somewhere or to do something, we shouldn't plead with him to do something else. He knows, he knows the better way, the best way. And it always saves us a lot of trouble and a lot of heartache and headache. And on top of that, it's not really obedience if we don't obey right away. I don't know that it was obedience for a lot to go to the mountains now because obedience would have gone right away. He's in the right place now, but his heart isn't. He's only there because he has to be, because he's not comfortable where he wants to be. It's not obedience if we're forced to do it, guys. God's never going to force you and I to do the right thing. But I tell you what, if we don't obey and do the right thing, we're going to be forced to do a lot of wrong things. We're going to be a slave to evil and wickedness. And we're going to see that today. But they were living in luxury in Sodom and Gomorrah, and that all changed in a day. And now they're living in a cave. I don't know how much longer it was after. I don't think it was much longer because they had some supplies. But it was still just them. And it's quite the riches to rag story. And I'm sure his daughters were not satisfied with it. These young girls that grew up, they had this life in Sodom and Gomorrah, their friends, their husbands, their parties. And now they're living in a cave. Just think of some celebrity spoiled daughters that you know of that, you know, picture them living in a cave now, what their behavior and attitude is going to be like. I I don't think it's going to be good. But on top of that, as they're in this cave, I think living alone can drive you a bit nuts. I remember working from home years ago before having a family of just me staring at a white wall in a condo and there was only a couple of people I worked with and we had only, you know, one or two communications a day, maybe, maybe more, but it wasn't like constant and I would just go nuts being in that place all day by myself, quiet and working. I'd want to go to the mailbox or I'd want to go to the drive-thru just to talk to somebody. Hey, can I, you know, we didn't even want, it. We didn't even want the Wendy's anymore. And even us here sometimes being overly excited talking to people, I find myself getting overly excited having a conversation with somebody sometimes because it's just nice to have a conversation with somebody. But they're in a cave. I'm not sure how or what they're eating. Lot doesn't seem like the guy who has a lot of bushcraft knowledge can go out and set a trap and get an animal or go hunting. But you know what? They have wine. They play with it. Isn't that like a city slicker to end up in the wilderness and not have anything they really need? But you know what? They got a whole box of wine with them. I don't know if they brought that with them from Sonic Gomorrah or something they picked up at the liquor store in Zoar, but they had a lot of it, apparently. They didn't have much of else, but they had wine and they had a cave. Proverbs 23, 29-35 says, Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has contentions? Who has complaints? Who has wounds without cause? This, you could do a whole study on this. This is fantastic. Who has redness of eyes? Those who linger long at the wine. Those who go in search of mixed wine or mixed drinks. Do not look at the wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it swirls around smoothly. You see people tasting and smelling. and Oh, look at it. It just has this like, an intoxicating look to it. At the last, it bites like a serpent. It stings like a viper. Your eyes will see strange things. Over here, Beer goggles and your heart will utter perverse things. Yes, you will be like the one who lies down in the midst of the sea, or like one who lies at the top of the mast. If you remember Forrest Gump, the lieutenant dance at the top of the mast on the boat, and he's like cursing God, you know? Saying, they have struck me, but I was not hurt. They have beaten me, but I didn't feel it. I'm invincible. When shall I awake that I may have more to drink? We've heard enough, you know, we've had enough experience, that I'm sure in life, Jeff even maybe been this fool at one time or another. But we as people, I would say in general, have a hard enough time making right decisions. How many books are out there about making right decisions? How many schools? How many classes? Just to learn how to do the right thing in business or in life or in parenting or in cooking, everything, we want advice on what to do. Yet we tend to gravitate as people towards the things that most impair our judgment even further and even faster. You tell me how it is good for a society to make it easier, socially acceptable, and lawful even, to put yourself in more of a stupor, more of the time. And they rationalize it. Oh, well, it was for medical purposes. Well, maybe it is. I'm not going to get into that debate. I know. I I think that there's probably another way. But for the few people that maybe, maybe need it for medical reasons, why is it legal for the rest of us? Well, I think it's because... The sin and pervasive culture of drug abuse has taken over society, and so instead of dealing with the real reason, we just make it right. Because if we make it right, then it won't be a problem anymore. I, I would beg to differ that it's going to be a bigger problem or a worse problem. Ask me how I know again. Ask me how I know that these things are not good. i learned the hard way. Verse 31. The firstborn said to the younger... Our father is old and there's no man on the earth to come into us and accustomed to the earth. There's no man. You were just in a city. I think she's got a little different mentality going on here. And I don't think she really cared about her father's posterity here. I don't think she cared back in Sodom and Gomorrah. I remember, she had husbands and they, you know, and the husbands didn't want to go with them there. That these girls were entrenched in Sodom and Gomorrah's culture. So much so that their mom, their matriarch, looked back and died. I'm sure their mom was just as wicked as they were. I don't think they care. You know, there's no man. You want a man go down to Zora. There's more people here. You know, it's not like you just went from Sagamore to the mountains. You didn't know this other city was still okay. You know, you know there's more people out there. And I say there's no man to come into us and that means a sexual relationship. And I think she's revealing here what her real desire is. That's her real concern. There's no man to be with us, not, My dad doesn't have a son to carry on his name. She says, as is the custom of all the earth. Oh, this is what the whole earth does. But there's nobody left. This is what the whole earth does. But we haven't done it. We haven't given sons to our father yet. Sounds like more and more rationalization here. I think perhaps, maybe even given the culture, I want to be careful in this study because you want to be uh, simple concerning evil and wise concerning good, but I think if we just rationally consider what she's saying here, that perhaps they're even further along and involved in things that are completely outside the natural custom of a relationship between a man and a woman. I almost get this ultra-feminist, militant feminist vibe here, even though she's concerned about the patriarchy, and we won't get into all those things. But you know what? It's more than a custom. It's not just... This is what this custom and this society does. It's created that way. It's designed that way. It's obvious. It's just, this is how you fit together. It's good. It's healthy. It's how families are raised. It's how we grow up healthy and have successful lives. And that's the whole fight against it today that somehow it's wrong to be successful because your parents were successful. I get, you know, being spoiled and being born with the silver spoon in your mouth sort of thing. But man, I want to give my kids the best life possible, and if I can give them a, a stable and healthy environment at home, and that means they make a better life for themselves than I've done. And man, I don't want that. Why wouldn't I want that for my kids? I don't want them to have the same struggles I did. I want to help them through those. But it's a right context. It's healthy to be married and to the right person, not your relative. Look at the perverseness of our society and society in general these days. How often do you see news articles about female teachers involved with young boys? I read about one just the other day. But when the mothers in society, some complain about the the patriarchy or the male privilege, and I'm not going to get into that, and there's definitely complicated things on all sides of it, but sincerely, when the mothers of society are corrupt, I think that's the largest problem. Obviously, the men have a huge role, an important role, and are the ones out there, but the the moms are the last line of it. And when moms are corrupt, the family has no hope. The dad's gone and the mom's gone. There's no more family left. The children have no defense. And that's exactly what the enemy wants, is for children to be left defenseless, to be taken away by every wind and doctrine of wickedness and swayed into all sorts of corruptness from a young age because what does the Bible say? Instruct the child in the way they should go when they're old? What? They will not depart from it. So if you instruct the child in witness when they're young, you're going to harden their heart for their entire life. And just like in Sodom and Gomorrah, what comes next? Total destruction of society. And I believe we're witnessing our society's collapse right now. I don't necessarily believe we're going to need fire and brimstone from heaven to do it. I don't necessarily believe we're going to need uh, an EMP from Iran or China to do it. That might still happen, but that's not the true destruction of our society. If our society was healthy at home, we could make it through any of those things. But if any of these things attack us, the fact that our home is destroyed, we're not going to survive. Because we're doing it ourselves. We're tearing it down ourselves. The enemy is not without but like the Roman Empire, we are rotting from within. Can you hear the older daughter here? She's obviously been thinking about this. It's only now overflowing. Can you hear her convincing her sister? Rationalizing this behavior and this decision? to get her on board with her weakness? And what is that saying? Misery loves company? But man, don't we want to convince people to do weakness with us? You know, I'll, I'll do it if you do it. You know, If you do it, I'll do it. We want to do wickedness, but we're afraid to do it on our own, so we want to do it with someone else. Luke 6.45, Jesus says, A good man out of the good treasurer's heart brings forth good, and an evil man out of the evil treasurer's heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. These three are in the middle of nowhere. They're dwelling in a cave in the middle of the mountains. You can probably still see the smoke rising from Sodom and Gomorrah in the distance. You know, you can smell forest fires from far away. I'm sure they can still smell it, depending on where the wind's going. And somehow uh, both of them getting pregnant and having babies when all they've got is wine and a few supplies is a good idea. Their first concern is their father's lineage. That's right. You know, Oh, he's old, he doesn't have sons. This is what we need right now. We need babies. Who's gonna deliver them? It's obvious their first priority out here in this cold, damp, wet cave without a house, money, or food is having two children. And man, don't we look at society that is backwards and has its priorities backwards. And, and what happens? They start having children out of wedlock. Not having a stable home or stable income. And I'm not saying you can't work around that or God can't take care of that or that if you have a child, you can't get your life on right. But isn't it easier? Isn't it better? Isn't it healthier? To have all these other foundational things there to support a life. And I think it's why people wait so long to have children sometimes because they, they don't feel prepared. And I get it. I get it. You want to be as prepared as you can to have children. But let me tell you this. You'll never be prepared enough to have children. It's a learning experience, a growing experience. But they made their father drink wine that night. And you know what? That sounds like, oh, they really forced Lot's hand here. They made him drink. I don't know that Lot needed that much convincing to get drunk here. So I mean, so drunk that he doesn't remember anything the next morning. I think when you get that drunk, you do it yourself, or people keep pouring you a drink. I think you're still kind of aware of what's going on. Lot's been around the block. I'm sure he he knows how this works. But it's a pretty dire, lonely, and helpless situation without God. So in some sense, I don't blame them for getting drunk. You know, you just lost everything. The city went up with smoke. You can't dwell in the city. You're in this cave. You got wine. What are you going to do? I get it. I'm not saying it's right, but I understand, you know, the proclivity there to, to get uh, wasted. But what's up with this lot? You're hanging out with your two daughters in a cave. You're not manning up and concerned about what to do next. Instead, you're letting them get you drunk beyond Bolivian. Total excess with your daughters. What kind of dad is that? The, never mind not taking care of them and figuring out what to do, but drinking to them with them like that, having a wild drinking party with your daughters. That's weird. I don't care who you are. I used to drink with my family at a bar before getting saved. We'd go out and have drinks or meet up and have a couple drinks, but I would not get crazy drunk with them. If they got if they started getting tipsy, it was like shameful and embarrassing. I don't think the same for them if I was. This is my son. He's totally wasted. And it was a shame and embarrassment to my family. But being friends with your kids, I remember going to parties growing up where my friend's parents, she was a psychologist and just wanted to be friends with her kids. And she would buy us beer and we would do drugs and drink in the basement. She thought, and they thought they were the cool parents, but man... I respected my, parent, my friends' parents more who didn't buy us alcohol, who wanted their kids home by 11. I may have thought it was a bummer that they went home and was upset, but you know what? Deep down, I respected those parents more. And I get it. I, I get the heart behind it. You love your kids. Maybe you had a tough upbringing and you don't want to be a, a disciplinarian on your kids. And I get wanting to be friends friend with them. I want to be friends with my kids, too. But you know what? In order to be the best friend with my kids, I need to be their father first. I can be their father and their friend. I can be their best friend and their father. How do I know? Because my best friend is my heavenly father. Be a role model. Someone they can look up to. Even with my faults. But I'm sure they kept prodding him until he was completely drunk. They knew there was some righteousness in him. That there would be no convincing him of this evil. This immorality. Otherwise, they had... It didn't say that they got drunk. I'm sure they drank. But it didn't say that they got drunk. It said they got Lot drunk. And that little bit of leeway in Lot's life with alcohol erased all that righteousness that that he had left. I mean, thankfully we see later that Peter speaks of his righteousness. But something tells me here, I think it's the verses, that their morals are non-existent. If their morals are non-existent, why should they care about his lineage going on? If they have no morals, why do they care about his lineage? They weren't cared about his lineage. They were cared about their own needs. Maybe they wanted boys that they would have grow up and take care of them when they got old. I don't know. Could they just go find some guys to marry? Were the guys in Zoar that bad? Maybe. Maybe for these prima donnas from Sodom and Gomorrah, they couldn't be seen carousing with the lowly peasants of Zoar. I don't know. And this is gross. Thankfully for a lot, he didn't know when it started or ended because I believe he probably would have lost his lunch. And if I'm thinking logically, he has to have some clue, some fact after the day that maybe he would never even consider this to happen in, the, in all the universe. So he missed the signs. He didn't know why his bed was messed up or whatever he saw in the morning. It just, it, you know, it just didn't click for him because there's no way that that would have happened. But the next night, the same thing, this time, with the younger daughter. You know the older definitely put more pressure on the younger that second night. She had just done this awful abomination, no matter how far or more had gone. You know she's convincing her little sister to do it more. The influence of a sibling. Thankfully, I had good influence on my siblings growing up. But scary thing is, people in this day and age... And it probably won't be long before things like this aren't considered disgusting anymore if there's what? Consent. We're already on the verge of that when society's zilks are getting so far away, we just say, oh, well, it's okay because they're two consenting adults. Well, yeah, they both agree to it, but two people agree to rob a bank too. Does that make it right? But you know, worse than that, the alcohol did the consenting for Lot. Lot didn't say yes, but you know what? When he drank in excess with his daughters, he consented dead. I'm not saying it's right what they did. I'm not saying that he's without fault and you know, there's, you know, unfortunately we do live in a society where, where women get raped and things. I'm not saying it's their fault for getting raped, but there's a lot of things, you know, if you're walking home from the supermarket and it happens, it's not your fault, but if you go out and you're in the middle of the night in a bad neighborhood with bad people drinking in excess, I'm not saying it's your fault, but you could have made some other choices that didn't put you in that place of vulnerability. I'm not saying it's right. What happened to you? I'm not saying it doesn't hurt or that But man you could have done a lot to avoid it. It's like having a fire at our house. We do a lot to keep it in, in the fireplace, but man, if I'm careless, and the house catching on fire. You know, I, 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 if anything happened to my daughters, even if they put them themselves in that situation or my wife, I would, I would be livid, and not at them. I'd be brokenhearted at them. Oh, honey, how did, how'd you get yourself in this situation? But I would be livid at the guy who did it, trust me. I, you know, I'd probably be facing jail time. Therefore, Ephesians five seventeen and 19, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. And again, on that last point, it's like people just want to be able to do whatever they want to do without consequences. But the problem is when everyone starts to do whatever they want to do, there are consequences all around. And drunk people tend to sing songs and be merry. You know, you could see I mean friends getting drunk grown up and they would sing songs and be merry. Then they would crash and want to fight everybody. And, you know, I would do the same thing. I would sing songs to be merry and then I would get super depressed. But man, there's a better intoxication. There's truly a detoxification of the spirit that gives you joy and you will sing and you're not going to be drunk and you're going to remember it the next day and you're not going to stub your toe and you're not going to wonder where that bruise came from or why you're in jail. And Lot apparently didn't know then or in the next morning or the next night or the next morning. So maybe he just was, I don't know. But don't you think he found out in a few months when his girl started showing signs? I think it's pretty obvious by them. You know, did they tell him? When did they tell him? Because that's a messed up situation. It's hard to even think about. It's like an episode of Jerry Springer or something. Your kid is your grandkid. Again, we saw last time, the kids always bear the biggest burden of the sins of the adults in their lives. Imagine these poor boys growing up. Do you think they knew? When did they, when did they find out? They had to have known at some point. Lot at least, you know, how long ago was Sodom and Gomorrah? Ten months. When was I born? Nine months. You know, there's a disconnect there. Maybe they lied to them. I don't know. But Lot at least knew. How else would Moses have found out about it to write this down? Lot actually told somebody. They tell Abraham? How did that come up? How do you befriend someone in that situation? Yes, yeah, it's what we're called to do. When people we know or meet or minister to have been in these situations and worse, to love them, care for them, help them through the awful consequences. Not condone it, not to make laws, go back and somehow try and erase their sinful behavior by not making it sinful in man's eyes anymore. We just read Leviticus 18. It's sad that these things have to even be written down, but it shows that the condition of our hearts requires us to be told even the most perverse things to not do them. Because you know what? We would do them. We would rationalize them. We know that they're wicked when we're doing them, but we rationalize them. We want others to call us by the right name, to rationalize what we've done is somehow not being wicked anymore. That others have to see it that way. That's slavery. They say that saying the truth and, and not doing certain things or just calling a spade a spade is wrong. But man, they do that and even worse to those who want to tell the truth. And if he didn't know during the pregnancy, he certainly knew when these boys were born and named. Why? Well, Moab, to you and I it doesn't mean anything, but Moab means of his father. Yeah, literally. He doesn't just look like his dad, but he's of my dad. Now that was the oldest daughter. The younger daughter named her son Ben-Ami, which I think this kid got off a little bit better. It says, son of my people. At least his name is a little more ambiguous. Again, it's almost as if the elder daughter might have been more proud of her lifestyle choices. Of my father. Like, I'm not naming the kid Bob, so no one will know where he comes from, but of my father. Like, all right. Some of my people. Like, okay, yeah, it's my people and other people's choices, and I went along with it. Son some of my people. Maybe that nobility aspect is still carrying her along. That's for my father. It's for his lineage. We must carry this on. How enslaved to this idea is she? But how would you like your lineage to be that of one being inbred in this situation? You know, in the beginning, before the flood, with Abraham, even Abraham's wife is his half-sister, that this is okay, uh, there's enough genetic diversity to handle it, it doesn't work today. In fact, later on, the Bible commands not to do it. Um, because you just see, it's just, it just becomes this tiny little pool and genetic deficiencies multiply and go out. You know, and... and and that's why I think marrying someone who's not of your family, not of your immediate family, not even of your uh, heritage, someone from Africa, marry someone from China, or someone from China, marry someone from India, or someone from India, marry someone from North America, I think that's fantastic. I mean, you know, if it's the right thing, they're marrying the right person, fantastic. Because it's so different. And how often do those children have this, like, beautiful look to them because it's just this diversity that comes together, and I think that that's Holy, and that's wonderful. And when we get to heaven, there's going to be every tribe and tongue and nation uh, spoken for there. And God made us all. And that's the way it's supposed to be. But man, it's like, even in our relationships, if we only hang out with those who are exactly the same with us, it starts to get weird. It starts to get twisted. It starts to turn into a little cult, a little clique, where we don't have any outside influence and we're unable to listen to outside opinion. And isn't that the problem with society today, that we're, not, we're afraid to speak our opinion, we're afraid to hear another person's opinion, and when we hear another person's opinion, we just call them uh, an awful name and write them off as uh, someone who's hateful when they're just different. But the Moabites and the Ammonites go on to have a storied history with Israel. Uh, you know, it's like this family dirty laundry just leads to further contempt down the road, like we saw on the other side, with Abraham's side, Ishmael. Goes off and becomes uh, the Ishmaelites who have problems with Israel. And you see, Lot, you should have stayed in Ur like God wanted you to all those years ago. Look at how much has happened to you, Lot. Choose to listen to God. Are you going to learn? A lot of times we get far down the path in life and go, why is all this happening to me? Why is me? Why isn't my life the way it should be? Well, did you listen to God? When you can even hear him. Lot hears God's direct command, go to the mountains. And he goes, oh, no, no, city. And look at this. You know, the Bible says that, uh, that like putting a, a ring of gold in a swine snout is like a beautiful woman without discretion. It's wasted. Why would you put a ring of gold in a pig's nose? It rubs its nose in poop and mud and roll all day. And you're putting this beautiful, expensive pearl in it. And it's just the same way like a beautiful woman or a beautiful band that has all this outward beauty of gold but they have no discretion they put their nose where it doesn't belong they roll around in mud and dirt and and filth and yet we uphold it because somehow oh, they're beautiful so their behavior is okay i think a lot of times you look at hollywood like that oh they're beautiful so what they say must be right no a lot of times it's the most wicked things come from the most beautiful people in fact even the enemy and disguise himself as an angel of light, something very beautiful, but what comes out of his mouth? The words of very hell itself. You know, a lot had to have gone wrong for this to happen. This didn't just happen overnight. It didn't happen back in the plains with Abraham's people. It didn't happen back in Ur. It happened in this cave in the middle of nowhere. How many decisions led up to this point? How many bad parenting things? How many life desires were followed that got them to this point? And they continued on in it. You need to be careful about it. even the littlest decisions we make because they can have eternal consequences. I, as we're getting here to a close, when I want to read two poignant notes from David Guzik's commentary. I always study and then I like to go back and look at the commentary afterwards to see uh, if I missed anything or if I'm on the right track and uh, also to get some uh, good nuggets like these. And I think that these are really good. It says, Donald Barnhouse observes, it is far better for children to learn the facts of life from the Word of God where sin is condemned than the dirty words and alley walls or from lewd stories or, I would say today, on their smartphones. No one can escape knowledge of sin. These things are never mentioned without being accompanied by the stern warning that God hates sin and punishes it. You know, like, I didn't want me in here to listen to this message today, but I, I told her a little bit about it. But as she grows, I want to share these things with my kids because I want them to hear it here first and know that the Bible talks about these things that... And that way, when they encounter them in the world, they'll at first encounter them in the word. And he goes on and says, Ironically, in his own drunkenness, Lot carried out the shameful act that he himself had suggested to the medicine, to lay with his daughters. Someone named Sailhammer. And Guzic says, The descendants would have become enemies and obstacles for Israel, just like the descendants of Ishmael. Lot's life ended in ruin, all because of his love for the world. You know, Jacob's not even born yet. He's still a generation out, but his enemies have already been born. And isn't that like us? The enemy of our soul has been around a lot longer than we have. But thankfully, we have a protector and a victor in Jesus Christ because he always was, he always is, and he always will come. There's no, there's no stopping that. And I love that in Second Peter 4, 4-8, God talks about these things that happened in that lot. Delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked, that a righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day, seeing and hearing the lost deeds, that even though Lot did all these things, there was still a smidgen of righteousness in him to be mentioned. Not as this in the New Testament, not as this man who fathered the Moabites and the Ammonites through this wickedness, but a man who was vexed by it. Vexed by it. Not enough, apparently, But at least there was that little speck of faith there. And this is really heavy. You know, like I said, I'd hope to get through all this in chapter 20. Kind of like, put a sweet taste in our mouth after this and not have to chew on this for a while. And quickly move past it. But you know what? We couldn't. I think a lot of times we try and gloss over the ugliness in ourselves and society and not bring it to repentance and not bring it to mind. Just put it away. But we can't put it away. Because it's going to fester we tried to put it away for so long and not really deal with it you know what the solution to these things is not to make a law to make it right just like all the ills in society we can't just all of a sudden pass a law and then things will get better can't ban guns and school shootings will stop maybe they won't something else will pop up because that's not the root of the problem the root of the problem here is not them sleeping with their dad that's awful they shouldn't do that but the root of the problem is way further back <laughs> way further back where are we as a society? Where are we personally, you and I? And how are we doing morally? Are we setting ourselves up for failure? Are we setting our children and our children's children up for failure? By the way we raise them, by what we teach them, by what we do? Because that's what they're going to learn the most is by watching us. And I'm sure they watched Lot and his wife drink and embrace the world. Even if he was vexed, he still was in it. Are we making or contemplating making right decisions that not only will affect us, but will affect our families for generations to come? You now, read Romans later on Romans 1. And Matthew 24, 37 through 44 says, But the days of Noah, this is Jesus speaking, were so that so also will be the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will be the coming of Son of Man be. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken there to left, two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken there to left. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had not known had known, excuse me, what the hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Are we watching and not allowing our house to be broken into? I can't sleep sometimes because I'm watching and not allowing my house to be broken into. Therefore, even though I'm sure we're perfectly fine, therefore you also would be ready for the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect. In Luke 21-34, Jesus also says, Take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, which is wild partying, drunkenness, and the cares of this life, and that the day will come on you unexpectedly. This day came on on Lot unexpectedly. He had no idea when he lay down or when he got up. He had no clue that the thief was coming in and robbing his house. And more than that, these things they weigh us down, Jesus says. And when we're weighed down, it keeps us from looking up and saying it's obvious. Look at how wicked the time is. Jesus can gonna come back any moment. They're pushing for a one world government, cashless society, that wickedness is everywhere. Have you read the Bible? I know it's been wicked in the past. I know there's been barbaric acts in the past, but no more has it been so pervasive through the entire global culture than it has now. It's everywhere. It's in the kids' lives. It's being taught to them. Be ready. Be in control. Don't let alcohol or anything else control you or consume you, but let the Holy Spirit fill you. Pray for your family. Pray for your friends' families, their children. Like I said, especially in this day and age, I do not want my daughters or my son to be so corrupted and influenced by the world that their morals are so far gone that they would consider something like this as noble. Their thoughts so debased that they would think it noble to do anything in their life that really is ruining their life, their future, especially their faith. I want nothing to be taken from their faith, their future, their children. If the Lord tarries, I want them to be successful spiritually in life, that they would go on and have children, and have children's children, and leave a heritage to them. But either way, I don't want their life to be ruined by some moral corruptness or some bad example that I give. I want them to know the reality of God His love and nature, and I think that's why God puts stories like this in the Bible, to know the reality of sin and the depth of sin, but also, like we read in Peter, His redemptive nature. To see a fallen world as what it is, fallen, and to have the right perspective on it, one that doesn't embrace it, is more than vexed by it and actually stands up despite it. More than that, God bless you, to save those drowning in it. So that I ask. Please pray for my family and I as well. The more we all stand up for it, the more attacks will come. And We think, oh, not in America. Well, it's happening here, and it's going to get worse. And pray for those in countries where faith is persecuted. And one verse as we close here today. James 4, 4 through 10. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world, that means, you know be involved in the worldly things. I have friends at work and I love them, but I'm not going to go get wasted with them. I'll drink, you know, I'll drink soda with them while they drink for a little bit, but when things turn, I'm, I'm done. But whoever, therefore, wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Do you want to make yourself an enemy of God? God says, I'm not an enemy with you. You made yourself an enemy with me. That we choose it. Or do we think that the Scripture says in vain? Do we think that? The Spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously, God jealously wants us because he knows the world is going to destroy us. But he gives us more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. The humble will know the depths of their sin and know they need God. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. You can resist him. You can resist your heritage, your urge, your desire for certain things. Resist it. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Have one mind. Change your mind. Repent. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of God, and He will lift you up. If you're downtrodden, if you have a life where you just want to drink and do drugs and carouse, and that's the only way you find joy in life, but in the morning, you're not happy. And even then, you're not happy. I wasn't happy. I looking around. Being, this is so empty. I'm so empty took me a while, but eventually I turned to the Lord because of His grace. And you can too. Even if your life is going well, even if you live a life of faith and it's broken by something or hurt by something and you're tripped up in something, God can restore you. God will lift you up. No matter how deep your sin is, God loved the Ammonites. God loved the Moabites. God loved Lot's daughters. But they made themselves enemies of Him. Let us not be His enemies any longer. Father, we love You. Thank You that You pursue us. And you put, you stretch your arm out to us all day long that we might take hold of it and be rescued. God, give us more grace and more time that more the fullness of the Gentiles might come into your kingdom. God, we love you, Lord. Bless the people in this area who are downtrodden, who are caught up in wickedness, God, and, and even might think it's a noble thing that they're caught up in. But God, would you free them from that slavery, God. We love you, Lord, and we trust you. Protect my family, my kids, my friends, and their children. Uh, God, wash over them, we pray, uh, with your spirit and your word, and let this place be a lighthouse for you, that all those might come and enter in and spend time with you. Love you, God. In Jesus' name, amen.